Oh, hey there. Thanks for choosing to listen to Conference Talk. This is Shelby. And this is Kevin. Tune in each week to hear us discuss a conference talk by modern-day apostles and general authorities. We love y'all, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome, everyone, to episode 11 of Conference Talk. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty good. Thanks. And we are reading and talking about the talk titled The Power of Book of Mormon and Conversion by Elder Benjamin M. Z. Tai of the 70. And this is in the Saturday afternoon <laughs> session. Yep. I'm sorry, I got confused last time. So now it's clear. It's Saturday afternoon. Yep. This was a pretty good book. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's funny because... That's actually what somebody says in the talk <laughs> to <laughs> Elder Ty. That's okay, funny. but I, this was actually a really good talk, and um, it it is all about the Book of Mormon and the blessings that uh, we receive when we read, we read the Book of Mormon, and and some of those blessings, you know, are strength. Oh, man, our table is super squeaky today. I don't know what's going on. Me either. Um, you know, we we receive strength from the Book of Mormon when you read it and study it. Um, there's also, like, there's physical changes that happen. There's a change in our behavior when we read the Book of Mormon and really live by its uh, the principles taught therein. And I, I can 100% testify that that's true. I mean, I'm, I've said it before on, on uh, our Book of Mormon podcast, but you know, I'm a different, I'm a different man um, because of the Book of Mormon. And that's interesting because you could probably say that because it's been 10 years since I joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and you could probably say, well, yeah, Kevin, in 10 years anybody's going to be different. Um, you know, possibly completely different because so much time has elapsed and, and so many experiences, but it's not that I'm a different person. It's that I'm a better person because of the book of Mormon. I might add that this talk, talks about the process of the book of Mormon and conversion, right? So you were baptized and converted to the church, right? But conversion is a ongoing process. Right. And so in the very, I think it's the second paragraph at the end, it says, for us to become who we need to be, it is essential that we know what to do and do what we know. And so when you say you're a better person, it's because you've been converting yourself, right, through the Book of Mormon to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is Jesus Christ Church, right? Right. Um. So I have a quote I want to read. It is not from the talk because ironically, the the books that I'm reading, not ironically, by divine design, the books that I'm reading always, always correlate with the talk that we're reading that week. Um, So I'm going to read. It's a little bit lengthy, but bear with me because I think it really adds on to the talk. So in this um, book, it's called The Continuous Conversion by Brad Wilcox. 
and I think I'm in chapter, yeah, I'm in chapter one here. Um, and I highly recommend getting this book, but the, the principle of chapter one is learning heaven, not earning heaven. Okay. So we learn through being converted and the one principle he's talking about here is change. And I think I read this to Kevin one night, but, um, it says God desires us to obey and learn so that we can make positive changes over time. Referring to an explanation given by President Spencer W. Kimball, Elder Dallin H. Oak said, The repenting sinner must suffer for his sins, but this suffering has a different purpose than punishment or payment. Its purpose is change. And then it goes on to say, If Christ did not require faith and repentance, then there would be no desire for change. Think of friends and family members who have chosen to live without faith and without repentance. They don't want change. They are not trying to abandon sin and become comfortable with God. Rather, they are trying to abandon God and become comfortable with sin. And then further down, it says heaven will not be heaven for those who have not chosen to become heavenly. So I feel like this fits in with the talk because... Um, it talks about conversion, but it specifically talks about how the Book of Mormon can aid our conversion. And so with that um, talk in mind about repentance and change, when you read through the Book of Mormon, you want to be a better person. You want to change. You want to repent. You don't want to be like the people who aren't changing and repenting. And so the Book of Mormon literally is yelling from its pages to repent and change. And that's why your conversion, Kevin, has changed over the years because you've immersed yourself and it's yelled and screamed at you. <laughs> I don't mean it like that, but you don't know what I'm trying to say. It's taught you that you want to change for the better and you want to serve Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ first. I hope so. I hope that's what it's done. <laughs> well, it's teaching you. You're continually yeah. teaching and learning and repenting and changing and converting, right? If I may, you may, I want to bring it back to uh, Elder Ty's like opening remarks. Mm -hmm. He says that he underwent a physical examination. Um, and I assume it has something to do like just just a basic checkup. But he said that after this, this physical examination, he learned that he needed to make some lifestyle adjustments and to help him. His doctor prescribed a nutrition and exercise plan, um, and he says, which, if I chose to follow it, would transform me into a healthier person. And that shows that that beautiful doctrine of agency, mm -hmm. right? I mean, uh, when we go and we receive counsel of any kind, we have a choice on whether or not to take that uh, advice or leave it. And the most important part of the most important thing we can do when we learn more about the gospel of Jesus Christ is to, to have that courage to take the advice that we receive and to really apply it and to live it wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. um, I have a, a story that I like to tell when I was being taught by the missionaries and you know, they were teaching me, you know, they, they were teaching me some things about um, the Sabbath day and how we went to church every Sunday. And also they talked about the law of tithing. 
And those were kind of my holdups at first. I was like, well, I don't know if I want to go to church every Sunday. And I don't know if I really want to give my money. I mean, I'm, I was like, I didn't make a lot of money as it was. I was just a college student with like a part, part-time job, like 12 hours a week, mm-hmm. minimum wage kind of thing. So those were kind of my holdups. And I'm sitting in my room one night and my dad comes in. And of course, my dad is not a member of, of the church. And um, he comes into my room and he's just chatting to me and he brings up the missionaries and the church. And he's like, so what are you, what are you going to do? You going to join the church? And I was like, well, you know, there's some things that they want me to do and I'm not sure if I want to do them. And I told him about the few things, you know, they weren't secret. And he said, you know, Kevin, there are no part-time Mormons. That's what he says. (laughs) And he, and because he knew and has known a lot of members of the church throughout his life, he knows that the standards which we uphold are very important to us and uh, and and they're not um, we're not lackadaisical in our in in how we live it right what lackadaisical like um, kind of take it or leave it right like uh, when when we we're taught yeah. something lacking determination lazy. yeah okay yeah um, kind of willy nilly right like yeah whatever no big deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that really helped me. And, and to be honest, <laughs> I don't want to say that was one of the reasons why I joined or why I said like, you know what, I am going to do it. But that was a very important thing. And it was almost a testimony born by a non-member of the, the seriousness of the obligation to come unto Christ. Mm-hmm. You do it or you don't. And you you can pretend at doing it, and that's not going to help anybody, mm-hmm. least of all yourself. Right. So all that to say, in in the second paragraph of the of the talk, uh, Elder Ty he he likens that experience to uh, spiritual um, things. So he says. If we each underwent a spiritual examination, what would we learn about ourselves? What adjustments would our spiritual physician prescribe? And, of course, I immediately thought of Christ as the great physician, you know, the healer, not just a a healer of, of the body, but, you know, he heals behavior. He heals our our. He heals anything that's yeah, broken. Anything that's broken. Physical, mental, spiritual, and anything. Doesn't that go back to Elder Renlin's talk? Yeah. Like just the, last at the very week. end of it. Yeah. He's like, the Lord loves to fix broken things. Yeah. Right here. It says <laughs> it's he his loves jam. to fix what has been irreparably, irreparably broken. Yeah. <clears throat> and I wrote in my margins, what does Christ ask us to do differently? And to be honest... He, he actually asks us to do a lot of things differently. Yeah. And I referenced that to the Beatitudes. Oh, yeah. That higher law that he taught. And um, my invitation for our listeners this week is to go to Third Nephi chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. And that is the, the Sermon on the Mount discourse 
which uh, the Lord gave to the Nephites in the in the American uh, continent. Um, and of course, you can you can compare that with Matthew chapter five in the in the New Testament. But there are there are more beautiful doctrines taught and more clarity in the Book of Mormon, which is why we love the Book of Mormon, and it's why it's so powerful in the conversion process, because we learn more about um, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the doctrine of Christ, and uh, better so than yeah. in any other book of scripture, I believe. Um, so what what is the doctrine of Christ, Shelby? The doctrine of Christ is, well, there's actually an article of faith about it. Well, those are the principles. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Those are the first laws and ordinances of the gospel. So the doctrine of Christ, I don't know. You tell me. Okay. You turned it around. I mean, it's in the talk. So uh, first, exercising faith in Jesus Christ. So it is the principles. Second, repenting. Third, baptism. Making and keeping covenants, in other words. Um, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and enduring to the end. <laughs> now, so that means the first laws and ordinances and principles of the gospel are the doctrine of Christ. Oh, well, they are a part of it. Yeah. But then there's also... I would have said that, like, Christ lives and we can live too, like, resurrection. Like, most of all. That's what I would have said. Okay. But that makes sense. I get what you're saying. And the talk is saying it, obviously. Yeah. Well, it's it's the missionary purpose as well, to help <laughs> others come into Christ by all, doing all those things. Receiving the restored gospel through... Faith in Jesus Christ, yeah. repentance, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and enduring to the end. And so but, so let's pick that apart a little bit in terms of what is a doctrine? A doctrine is something that is never changing. It is always um, like it's true. It will never change. So one doctrine, uh, for example, is that we can be with our families together forever. That's a doctrine. Okay. That doesn't change, it will never change. And it never has changed. Another doctrine um, could be, mm, what's another one? Temples, right? Temples are established here on earth. Well, okay, that's interesting because that's a doctrine. But sometimes because the church has been restored, the fullness of the gospel is here. So we have temples. And there wasn't times where temples were always on the earth. But there was a doctrine of temples. Does that make sense? Uh, yes. The, I don't want to confuse anybody. The blessings of the temple are eternal, mm -hmm. which means that they go back in time and forward in time, and they they span even times where there is no temple. Correct. Right now, people are benefiting from temple blessings, although we're in uh, limited. Even when, e yeah, even when every temple was closed during the COVID-19 pandemic, people were still on this earth as well as on the other side of the veil. Um, Doing temple work. Right. They were they were benefiting from the blessings of the temple Correct. because it, it doesn't change. So that's a doctrine. Yeah. I, I remember that um, my mission president 
he defined a doctrine as, and I don't, it's not a, I need to look this up for a hundred percent accuracy, like word for word, but he said, it's basically like a, it's something that is 100% relevant to your salvation. Gotcha. So for example, that, uh, the atonement, the atonement of Jesus Christ is a, is yes, it's a doctrine. Like there's a, there's doctrine associated with the atonement of Christ, but other things like maybe the, um, I don't want to be flippant about it, but church history mm-hmm. and points of church history are not doctrine. Correct. You don't, you don't say, Oh, well, that one of the doctrines of the church is that Joseph Smith did this, this, and this, or, you know, Orson Pratt said this, this, and this. Now, if they were teaching doctrine, like man can become like God, mm-hmm. then of that would be considered doctrine. But it's important that we don't get into the situation of saying like, you know, oh, well, the doc- doctrines of the church um, include bits of anecdotal information. It's the essential stuff. And we learn that from this uh, doctrine of Christ. All of these things are 100% relevant and essential to our salvation and to us receiving eternal life with all of our family. So I just wanted to, I wanted to address that. So then the principles, like a principle of the gospel is something that helps you live the doctrine. Oh, for sure. So you can look at it that way. Um, I actually, I don't know. Yeah, this will, this will bring up. So I don't know when this was, but it was, it was probably about two or three years ago. I wrote down the hierarchy of doctrine Hmm. and it was about the same time that president Nelson was making some policy changes. I don't remember which policy changes exactly, but there were, um, let me read this. Okay. (laughs) Uh, first at the top, you've got doctrine. And like you said, never changes. Right. Principles are below that. So yes, principles help you live the doctrine right? Gospel principles. Yeah. And principles also don't change necessarily because they are essential parts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Applications. So this is interesting. This is a part that I put in there in between uh, principles and then policy. Application is something uh, more akin to maybe how we practice the gospel of Jesus Christ in this dispensation at this specific time. Mm. And you can, I wish I had the reference. I need to look it up. But Elder Bednar actually talks about this in terms of, you know, at this specific point in uh, the the dispensation of the fullness of times, this is how we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's very important to realize. So and then you have policy, which policy does change. Because it's not doctrine. Mm-hmm. It's it it's how the church of Jesus Christ operates uh, on the earth at any given time. 
And a lot of that has to do, I believe, with um, the external factors. So you have, I mean, obviously the, the church has to operate and abide by the laws of the land. And so certain policies are uh, instituted and implemented so that the church can accomplish its mission, which is to, to gather scattered Israel and to the, unto the perfecting of mankind and getting everybody back to live with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. Um, so, yeah. That's pretty cool. I like that. I'm not exactly sure how we got there, but I... Well, it got we got there because it relates. Yeah. Oh, it definitely relates. I just don't remember where we took that turn. I'm not sure either. Oh, it was but, the doctrine of Christ and what is a doctrine. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, but anyway, bringing it whole, <laughs> we come back to the talk. And um, I like the quote right above before it talks about what the doctrine of Christ is. But Elder David A. Bender taught, knowing the gospel is true is the essence of a testimony. Consistently being true to the gospel is the essence of conversion. Conversion requires us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then it goes into how we do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I always talk about the difference between true and real. Mm. And I don't know if you guys have ever thought about that before, but what makes something true and what makes something real? And are they the same thing? You know, can I think about that for a second? But the way I've come to understand it is exactly, it's perfectly explained in this quote I just read. So knowing that something is true is a knowledge. I know that my family can be together forever, right? But when it becomes real is when we are converting and we are acting and doing. And okay, because I know that I want to be with my family together forever and that is true, I'm going to make this a real part of my life and it's gonna become real to me by keeping the commandments and reading my scriptures and going to the temple and being sealed as a family. That is when the truth becomes a real thing in your life, becomes a reality. That's when you're moving from a knowledge to a conversion, right? That's how I see true and real. So when people stand up at testimony meeting and say, I know the church is true, that's a wonderful testimony. But I hope that the church is real in their lives. I hope it's a real thing to them. I hope it means something to them because I know it's a real thing to me. The knowledge that Kevin and I are sealed forever, the, that's the reason, that one of the re many reasons that I stay true to my covenants because I, me and Kevin have a joke, well, a date for the first resurrection that we will meet at the morning of the first resurrection together because it takes two people to work together in a marriage right and same with a family it takes everybody in that family just because one person it might be real to them doesn't mean that everybody gets to hang on their coattail and make it there you get what i'm saying yeah so in order for it to be real, we need to become converted. And the Book of Mormon 
converts you if you let it, <laughs> if you choose to let it be a reality in your life, a real thing. Um, and it works miracles in people's lives. Yeah. Um, Elder Ty, he brings up a, a story of a man who, you know, was a, a chain smoker, a compulsive gambler. Uh, he just, he had a lot of vices and, you know, those are the kind of people who uh, some people will just write them off and uh, as kind of being, you know, lost, you know, they, they lost their way and they right. can't get them back. And, and even worse, sometimes those people write themselves off. They say, man, you know, I've just, I've, I've gone, gone too far. I've gone so far astray that, uh, you know, nothing's really going to help and, and I might as well give up and, there's a lot of there's a lot of factors there that I'd I'd like to go into, but just to to keep it <laughs> relevant to the talk, you know, uh, germane to the talk, um, the Book of Mormon, which teaches the doctrine of Christ and and you know reveals the the nature of Christ as our Savior and Redeemer, um, it is one of the most powerful tools for changing our behavior, changing our hearts. And there's there's wonderful examples in the Book of Mormon of men um, and, and women uh, and whole civilizations, actually, that, that change because of the the doctrine of Christ. Yeah. Um, I think of the people being baptized in the waters of Mormon. I think about all those people who were present when Christ made that visit to the American continent. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about mm, a couple weeks back, uh, Bishop Koss, and we never figured out how to say his last name, but mm -hmm. it, was, it was the presiding Bishop of the church and he uh he talked about how um at the paris france temple there was a moment that that christ came uh or that uh, not, no, no, the, a statue <laughs> the statue of a christ statue of christ the, the christus yeah it was lowered onto the temple grounds and Correct. he drew a parallel to the that very iconic painting which is in all church buildings, I'm sure, of Christ appearing as a resurrected being to the Nephites. And, you know, that that painting has some really powerful imagery in it. There are people in that in that painting that are like praising him, that are so glad to see him. And then there's one particular man who's like, weeping mm -hmm. and you might think oh he's just so happy and i his body language is not showing that he's happy it, it's that he's horrified that he spent his life maybe even denouncing the faith fighting against it and now he sees the lord jesus christ and he knows perfectly of his wickedness that's that's goes back to the quote that I had in the beginning that mm. heaven will not be heavenly 
for non-heavenly people. Like it just won't. And sorry, you no. say something. I, I just want to, I just want to hammer home. That's why the book of Mormon is a gift to us because it can change us. Like, like elder Ty says throughout this whole talk, it's a powerful tool for conversion and change. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying like, Hey, we, it's not going to be good for people who aren't changed and haven't learned heavenly things. things. And so how important, you know, the, how, how great the importance to make these things known <laughs> unto the inhabitants of the earth. Right. <laughs> I'm not kidding. No, it's I it's know. so I know important because exactly I don't want anybody I know to be crumpled up on the ground when the savior returns. Right. <laughs> Man, I just had a flash of um, a, a flashback from maybe about that. But um, I was going to say something, Kevin, but I let you talk and I think it left me. It was re it was regarding that quote at heaven. the beginning. Oh, heaven won't be heavenly for heavenly non-heavenly people. Um, that's why we are learning in the Book of Mormon how to become heavenly people do what heavenly people do so when christ comes there here it comes here it comes back that i thought came back um my mission not my mission president my uh one of the members of the presidency at the mexico mtc at the time that i was there um we had to have a recommend interview they give you like five of those before you get to the mission field because they want to make sure you're worthy um and they said Sister Williams, if you're going to the temple and you see Christ at the door, what are you going to do? And my answer was that I would run to him. <laughs> I would run to him and hug him and fall at his feet and have him come inside with me. I literally said those words. And then he looks at me and he goes, that's your temple recommend interview. And I said, what? He goes, if you're going to run to the Savior at the side of the temple doors, that's a pretty good sign, Sister Williams. Right? And I'm like, I never thought of it that way. And so now I think about it. And when I, you're talking about that man who's weeping and crying. I mean, if he were asked that question, he would probably think, I, I'm not worthy and I don't want to be around him because I know that I'm not. Right. Right. But that's where the beautiful doctrine of Christ and his church comes in because Christ can come to him, hmm. walk to him and lift him up and say, if you change, <laughs> you can come in. Right. So Kevin brought up the picture and is looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think that, well, I, I would say I know that as we read and study the Book of Mormon and as we, we read it with the intent to know what things the Lord would have us do differently. We can become different creatures in Christ. 
you know, that that's, I've gone through periods of my life where I thought, uh, well, I don't really know if people will change, you know, they, they change a little bit. Maybe, um, they, they behave differently, but deep down is, is it a different person? Um, but I know from experience that, that people can change. Um, and it's, it's not always pretty like that process of, of change can, it can also be awkward. And when you see somebody trying to get their life together, sometimes you can kind of look at them and say like, well, what is, what's their intent, right? Maybe somebody's trying to get in better shape or they're trying to start a business or this or that. And you might think, well, what's, what's that person really trying to do? And, um, we as onlookers, um, we either need to step back or we need to step forward with love and support them and, uh, and be willing to, to, to minister to them because they could be in, in that time of, of change and need support. Mm-hmm. I wanted to touch on one more thing as we close. Um, the con- our conversion process happens. Um, it ha- we, we can't become like Jesus Christ. We can't expect to become like him and do everything he did without a sacrifice because he sacrificed himself. And so um, th- this part in the book I really love, it's titled Sacrifices Required for Our Sakes, but it says not only does God define our blessings, he also requires great sacrifice. But then, but then here's the thing. Sometimes we get caught up on is my sacrifice enough or they sacrifice more than me, so I must not qualify. I must not earn this. That's not how it works. So, and I want to give an example in the book. He talks about a bishop and a child bringing um, him his tithing money, and there's coins in it, right? And he says, uh, he he says, picture this bishop going coins. You can have worked a little harder and paid with some bills. Do you know how difficult it is for coins or clerks to deal with the coins, kid? And he's like, this scenario is literally laughable because we know that the bishop doesn't care about how many coins the kid has in the envelope. He cares about the intent of his heart and what he's learning and teaching this child, right? So then he goes, so why are we convinced God is up there in heaven shaking envelopes, (laughs) right? We imagine him saying, your brother gave two more coins than you, your sister worked harder, your neighbor served two missions, and you only served one. Your friend offered lambs, and here you come with turtle doves. He gave an example of that previously. He says, the Lord is much more concerned with the offer, or is much more concerned with the offer than he is with the offering, right? So when you think about that in conversion, what you have to give is enough, right? Like you don't need to give millions and I don't know, however you want to talk about conversion and sacrifice, but what you have to give is enough for the Lord. And he will take that and he will multiply that and you will become converted because of your sacrifice to the Lord. So, I mean, Kevin and I, we pay our tithing. 
I'm, it's, I mean, we make, you know, decent money, but I'm not like, this is the thing with the paying tithing. That is one thing you can do perfectly. (laughs) I will say that, but we're, it's, I don't do it. I do it because I want the Lord to know that I love him and it is a sacrifice. I mean, there's that money we could use on so many other things. (laughs) You get what I'm saying? We could use all that stuff on, on cool new gadgets or clothes or I really want, you know, a dress, whatever it is. We could use that on so many other things, but we don't because we want to show the Lord that we love him and we sacrifice, right? So, and that sacrifice leads to conversion. Yeah. I, uh, I do like what you said. I know that the the offering, you know, tithing is definitely a sacrifice, mm-hmm. and you and you do offer up your tithes and and other offerings. Um, I just think that as a modern church, we have so much more to offer than our money. Yes. Because we have we have more freedom, we have more time. Um, you know, back in let's just look at the days of uh, of the early church members. You know, they they had these jobs and this subsistence living, where they had to work all day long for just what they themselves needed and a little bit more maybe to sell. Um. Meanwhile, today, we in eight hours, we can accomplish all that we need to accomplish so that we can not only survive, but thrive. And then we have these other 16 hours. Of course, some of that will be sleeping, sleeping, but, you know, there are there are missionaries. There are elders, corn presidents, state presidents. There are servants of the Lord who go to bed late because they are working to build up the kingdom and they get up early because of the same reason. Even if that's you're a mom or dad raising kids, you go to sleep late, get up early. Um, it doesn't matter what position you are, what calling you have in the church. I just wanted to bring up, uh, as we're closing out, you know, the Saturday daytime um, sessions, I wanted to look back to that first talk that we covered, which is, um, shall we not go on in so great a cause by President Ballard? And he asked us that as we, as we listen to the spirit during this 200th anniversary celebration uh, this weekend, consider what offering you will present to the Lord in righteousness in the coming days. And, uh, I extend that same that same um, suggestion. Consider what you are going to offer to the Lord in righteousness, um, and uh, and as we continue uh, discussing these talks, uh, things that come up, write them down. Make a make an action plan uh, based on your faith in Jesus Christ and and how you can you better build His kingdom up and and do His will. Um, I know that as you do that, not only will you come to know that the church is true, that the the Book of Mormon is true, 
and all these other things that fall in like dominoes because of it, but you'll be changed. You'll know that it's real. Yeah. Yeah. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I don't know if I have anything to add. I just know that it, this was a wonderful talk and it was great. It was a great discussion too. Mm. So that's all. And I, and I add my second witness to Kevin in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Next week we are going to be talking, uh, discussing the talk entitled a good foundation against the time to come by Elder Gary E. Stevenson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And uh, Elder Stevenson is a stud. I mean, we obviously he's an apostle. All the apostles are studs. But um, I've really enjoyed him uh, as he's been called to the Quorum of the Twelve. And, and his, um, and I say this with, with the utmost love, but he's just so down to earth. And it's not that the other brethren aren't, but he just, uh, he makes things so simple and plain. And, and it's like, you're listening to a, to an uncle or something. He's very relatable. Um, cause he's authentic. And so I'm really excited to study his talk and, and I hope y'all have a, have a great time reading it and preparing, uh, to benefit from our discussion. And it's important to become converted. I can tell you right now, this talk will link into the other one because it's important to become converted in order to have a good foundation. hundred percent. All right, y'all. We'll have a great week and definitely tune into our book Mormon podcast. Always going to give a shout out to that. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. What's something you learned from this episode of Conference Talk? What are your thoughts, impressions, or feedback for us? Be sure to write them down and let us know via Facebook or Instagram at Christ Center Conversations. Press forward, Saints!